There's something really curious about this broadcast. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, and we have main engine start. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and liftoff. This is TGP nominal. Commence episode now. All systems remain nominal. Nominal, nominal, Hello everybody and welcome to TGP Nominal, your monthly look at all things science fact and science fiction. Well, you join us for the second episode of season 10 and it's also the start of the month. Usually we have a pre-recorded sky guide by Ross Ockham from UK Astronomy, but, and this hasn't been for a long, long time, we now have Ross Ockham live on the line. How are you doing, sir? Hello, good to be here. It's been a well, what? When was the last one? Before August? Probably not even that. And then the problem was because we got the uh, planetarium in May. So for me, I had to do loads of training on it, and there's, oh, it's just been absolutely mental. And this is the only month where I've actually got about a week off. <laughs> one or two days to actually sit and chill because then I also decided that my, as you know my day job is a firefighter I decided that I was going to go for uh, my leading firefighters so I've been kind of like acting up now as a leading firefighter and I had to go and pass tests and go to Morton on the marsh and do real fire training and all this sort of stuff command and control so I've been absolutely mentally busy and also my wife works from home she's been doing it since covid so she's in the other room so we have to try and like work around was it your schedule my schedule my work schedule what's actually going on in the sky and training and researching and it was just a nightmare but we're here that's a couple of hours (laughs) so tell us a little bit about what's been going on for uk astronomy obviously you've had the planetarium and that's changed the whole game really for you it has yeah yeah so my main thing used to be doing like stargazing nights which still happens they still do them or going into schools and spending the day there with like a projector and a screen and the inflatable planets and stuff like that but now now people see this inflatable planetarium and they're all like hang on a minute we could have a random guy stood there talking with a screen and inflatable planets or for just a little bit extra donated to the charity (laughs) we can have this whole dome in the hall where I can project the night sky so I use a Stellarium which is we can get it on the laptop and that don't we have you used Stellarium before uh yeah I have yeah yeah it's really handy and it's I mean don't get it wrong it's not like the best HD sort of one or you know 4k or anything but because I can use it in the dome it still looks really good I know how it works and I know now all the hotkeys which are good so I can find my way around the sky just pressing buttons and getting stuff up the thing I love about it is I can show them the day that they're there they're there they go in it's the daytime sky the sun sets all the stars come out I try and trick them if Venus is up so I go first one to spot a star gets a prize and they all point to Venus and it's like that's a planet <laughs> I tricked you. And they love it. When all the stars come out, they all start yelling and pointing, especially when you get the constellations up as well and the artwork. The kids are all looking for their star signs and pointing around for their birthday stuff and all that. And then to actually say to them, right, this is today's sky. What you see when the sun sets tonight, you can go out tonight when you finish school and it'll be there. It'll be right there, hopefully, if it's not cloudy. And I love it because Stellarium is free on the laptop. And you can get it on your, your smartphone for a couple of quid, I think it is now, or something like that. So the software I'm using in the dome, the teachers can then download onto their laptops and the kids can as well at home. And then they can explore the sky exactly as they have in the dome, which I love to be able to tell them. And then the teachers love that sort of, oh, we can actually do that. And it's like, yeah, you can get it on your TV screen and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, the dome has been an absolute game changer. The only thing I say about it is it's lonely for me. 
Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm used to standing at the front of all these kids and getting you know, loads of interaction and stuff from them, asking facts and questions. They still do. But because now they have this like amazing night sky to look at and zooming in on nebulas and the planets and things, they're not really looking at me. They do it at the beginning. I go, you're all looking the wrong way. You need to look over there because that's where Mars is. So I don't get as much interaction sort of from it. But it's not about me. It's about the kids and all the people that go in there. That uh, You set me off now. Look, I'm going. I'm just chatting away. <laughs> we had a uh, funders day at Stowe House. So Stowe House, they supplied us with like the room, the marble room where we set up the planetarium in, which looked absolutely stunning with a cover on it as well. So we've got this cover for it that's kind of like, it's all like silhouetted trees with like almost like a purpley to black background with stars all on it. So it's kind of almost like a bit Christmassy in a way, for some reason, I think it kind of looks. And uh, we invited all the funders and we also invited the people, anyone who had helped us pretty much in the past. So Persimmon Homes with a van, because the van was also there. Yeah. And then I did a little talk pretty much about my story and how each and every one of them in that room helped along the way. So it was all about them, not us. Mm. So it was really nice. So it was a really awesome day. And they went into the planetarium, absolutely loved it. Although it took a little while to get some of them in. They're a little bit slower than others. <laughs> it is difficult sometimes, especially if you're taller, to duck in and get through the two doors you've got to go through. Kids manage it fine. Because you're taller, as the air comes out, it starts sinking a bit. So bless them. Well, there was a couple who had to have seats. And uh, when I walked in there to <laughs> check they were okay, the dome was kind of pushing on their heads a little bit. <laughs> so I was like, oh, really sorry about that. I said, quick, everybody's got to get in here quick. And I just held the dome up a little bit for them, which is quite funny for some reason. I found it funny, but that's kind of what I am. <laughs> It was almost like saying goodbye in a way. It was weird because, you know, they funded the van, funded the planetarium, elder bits and stuff. It was like almost us like saying thank you to them and almost saying, thank you, this is what you've done. Now it's up to us to go out there and deliver it and do what we can. And yeah, it's been mental. I mean, we're already getting booked up next year. People have already said, we want you in October. We want you here. We want you every year. We want you every couple of years. To me, it's kind of the pinnacle thing although the stargazing for me the actual going out and doing it for me is the most important thing oh yeah for sure if you're there teaching the kids about the sky they're going to go out and then look that night or in a couple of nights time you know i know roughly what's going in the sky and the positions of things and while i was looking at jupiter <laughs> it suddenly disappeared because i fast forward it a bit and let it spin so they can see the moons move yeah and then sometimes you get a transit come across and you're like, oh, how lucky are you? Look, tonight you get a transit of a moon right there. I didn't even know that was going to happen. So show them the red spot. And then, yeah, I did it on one of the planets and suddenly it disappeared. And I was like, ah, things crashed. Something's happened. How now? Let me zoom out. I zoomed out. It was an occult. <laughs> right. So even though we couldn't see it in this country because I took off the ground so we could see in space, it actually, the moon moved in front of Jupiter and disappeared behind it. So I sat there and then was like, oh, you guys are so lucky. Look, let's reverse time a bit and then explain to them what it was and what happened. So it was one of those little magical moments that just happened in the dome and they, you know, really enjoyed it. Cool. So yeah, as you can tell, I'm very passionate about the dome now. Actually, when you were talking there about telling the kids what, what you can see here, if you go out tonight, you can also see it as well. Yep. It kind of takes me back to the moon day that we all did at Owsby Town Centre mm. because uh, I don't know if you remember it, John made for me this graphic that had a Saturn V mm -hmm. and then you had the Elizabeth Tower or Big Ben as most people yep. know <laughs> and the Buckinghamshire Council building next to it. So you can see how big the rocket is and you can see how big that building is. Yep. 
and if you went outside the shopping centre, you can see that building, and you think, blimey. Yeah, that's quite big. <laughs> so how big was that rocket? <laughs> yeah. I don't think you can put into sort of like, you see the rocket, but you can't put it to scale how absolutely monstrous <laughs> it was. I thought to myself, well, that would be great for the kids, because the kids can physically see that building when they walk outside. Yeah, and then they walk out, you can say, when you go out there, have a look at the building, it's right there, and then look how big the rocket is compared to it. And imagine how high and how big it is there. Yeah, it's about double the size of this building, so you think, that building is huge. It's things like that that puts it in perspective for us. They don't, you can, you can see it on Google, can't you? But you can't mm. get the same... If you, unless you're standing there actually looking at something and going, actually, yeah, that is ridiculous. You can't really get the concept, can you? That's it. Now, you have to excuse me because I, I did let Mark into a little secret because I've been gently sipping while I've been sat here because I, uh, I got some beers in, didn't I? Some ales. Yeah. <laughs> we just had a little chat about it. So I'm going to have to say it because if you do hear like a... <laughs> that's me because I finished work last night and I've had a hard night's work and I thought you know what, what better to sit here with a, a Brewdog Planet Pale Ale so you'll notice they've all got well I don't get any money off them by the way this is just literally I found them in a shelf in Morrison's I don't get money off <laughs> them either and by the way if Brewdog do want to sponsor the podcast that would be absolutely fine <laughs> And I thought, why not get a few that I could find? I, I challenged my wife, we were there, to see if she can find any sort of astronomy-related ones. So that's one, Planet Pale Ale. And it's really nice, actually. I really like that. It's a really chilled mm-hmm. sort of drink, just have a little sip of. What else do I find? I found the Blue Moon. So as I say, once in a Blue Moon. I think I've had that before. We were talking about, does it go with a slice of orange, did you say? Blue Moon is usually served with a slice of orange, yeah. Might have try that then. A bit like where you've got, uh, is it Corona that you normally have with lime? Yeah, you have a lime in. Yeah. Although I heard a thing that they say they put the lime in it just to stop the flies. Oh, right. <laughs> whether or not that's true, <laughs> or whether it adds flavour, you never know. It's probably someone just having me on. Uh, what else we got here? So we've got uh, a Beaver Town Heavy Gravity, because, you know, Jupiter and things like that. Yep. It's got to be done. So that sounds quite nice. So what I'm thinking to do, I'm going to wait. The blue moon, I'll wait until later, so I'll go to the shops. When I go to the shops, I'll get a little bit of orange. Try it out. There are a lot of space-related beverages out there. I've had a couple of wines. There's an astronomy wine and there's a uh, stargazing one as well, I think. There's a brewery down, I think they're down south somewhere. I think Sussex or Hampshire or one of those kind of places. Dark Star. Yeah, I've never had it though. I've seen it. And the last one is one that I think Mark would like because he's into all his sort of weird flavours and stuff. Oh, what I, there was one in there that was like a Aunt Bessie's apple crumble ale. That just popped in my head because I remember you put something like that up once. If I remember rightly, JJ was going on about it. Uh, JJ from Field of Fools Day. Now they do a sticky toffee pudding one. This one's chocolate <laughs> caramel biscuit porter. Which... And it's, it's from Northern Star, hence why I got that. It does it's sound... It's called Northern Monk, I think. Really nice because yeah. I, I, I do like... Porters, specifically, I like plum porters. They're really nice. Mm, yeah, I might have to save that one to last then for dessert. <laughs> so always remember, children, drink responsibly. <laughs> if you're over 18, of course. <laughs> Drinking responsibly, in my case, would be not falling over. But uh... <laughs> Mine's not falling asleep. <laughs> or ordering... Deliveroo at like 1am or something <laughs> even though you've had dinner hence why I've only bought four just to try <laughs> it's all market research of course
Will Cheng, isn't he? Is he's our uh, resident astrophotographer, Aurora Chaser. He now does tours, doesn't he? Yeah. He does uh, tours to Iceland as well now, and he's going on like cruises, doing astronomy talks on cruises as well now. That'd be so cool. One of the Scandinavian cruises. He works at Twice Brood, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Brewery up in Northumberland, where they do stargazing as well on on the side of it, sort of thing. I'm sure it was just before COVID. He he had a chance where he started. He made his own beers. He got yep. to name them. I'm sure Luna one beer. was yeah Luna. That was it. Yeah, I was going to say I'm sure one was astronomy related. Yeah, and he he sent me a couple. No, he sent me a couple. The image on the front of the bottle was actually one of the images that he'd actually taken of the moon. Oh. So I'm gonna have to uh, I'm gonna have to tap him up to do some more. I think some <laughs> more samples for us. <laughs> we'll have to come up with a, a really dark beer and call it a uh, dark matter or something. Neutron star. <laughs> That'd be white, wouldn't it? That'd be like you wouldn't be able to pick it up. They do this beer is called a blonde stout. Mm-hmm. Now it looks like a pale ale. Yeah, goes down like a Guinness. Ooh, I do like a Guinness. But the thing is, you're looking at it going, well, that looks like it should taste like this. But when you yeah. taste it, you go, whoa, <laughs> I wasn't, yeah. wasn't expecting that. Yeah, so look out for a, a, a blonde stout. As I say, it, you look at it and you think, oh, this is going to be a light beer. Yeah. And then you taste it and go, oh, that's heavy. <laughs> Take it easy on this one. <laughs> Might try that one. Right, so Will, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although I doubt if he is at the moment because he was he's a bit snowed under with these um, these calendars that he's getting out the door. Yeah, because his, his famous tree got cut down, didn't it? A sycamore gap, isn't it? Yeah, that's the was one. Sycamore, sycamore gap. gap. That's the one. It's by Hadrian's Wall, wasn't it? That's it, and uh, that's where they got their design for the twice brewed brewery. Yeah. Yeah, the logo and everything. So there's this. If you if you if you want to look at it, it's, it's Will Cheng Photography. And he, I mean, there's loads of pictures of it because it's, it's a, such a good spot to do, like, to have. So it's almost like two hills coming down into a valley, isn't it? And right at the bottom of the valley in the middle is this awesome, well, was this awesome tree that looks so cool for, like, astrophotography pictures. But I can't actually think of any others like it, really. No. I know he did the, uh, what's what's the statue of the man with the, the wings spread out? That's the Angel of the North. Angel of the North, that's it. Because he's done a few near that as well, with, like the ISS going over, which yeah. is cool. But yeah, the Sycamore Gap tree was almost like the pinnacle <laughs> of that sort of thing. Yeah, sadly, it was in the news that someone went and cut it down. Yeah. No one really knows why, do they? I haven't really heard anything. No. I mean, that tree had been up there hundreds of years, if not thousands of years. Yeah, it was sad to see it go. And some of the pictures that Will has taken, especially ones during the Northern Lights, with the silhouette of the tree in the foreground and the Northern Lights in the background, they're absolutely spectacular. Being a man of, you know, optimism that I am, his pictures have probably gone up in value now. Um, but they've been everywhere. <laughs> they've, they've been on the yeah. news, they've been in newspapers, they've been, uh, you, you name it. When they were talking about why this person may have done what they did, yeah. Will's pictures came up a lot. <laughs> yeah. So I was actually sat at Morton on the Marsh doing my fire training, and then uh, someone just went, are they still going on about this tree? <laughs> and I looked over, and there was Will's picture. <laughs> on the news. I was like, I can't get away from him. Everywhere I go, Will's everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> He's got this event going on in December. I think it ties in with some kind of special event. It's probably one of the meteor showers. Yeah, there's Gemini, Gemini meteor shower. I think that's about 13th or 14th, something like that. Yeah, 16th, I think, this thing yeah, is. Yeah, mid-month. Yeah. So I think he's tying it in with that. I think as a guest speaker, he's invited TGP honorary crew member Maggie Lou. Oh. So if I do get to go up there, that would be great because I'd be able to meet up with Maggie again. 
Yeah, yeah, she's brilliant. I haven't seen her since Space Rocks, so... <laughs> yeah, that was a while ago. So I remember you. Did, she did, she's always doing little uh, pieces, though, isn't she? Little talks and stuff and bits for you. She's got a YouTube channel with some great videos on there, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. There you go. So this, this is just me and Mark pretty much catching up <laughs> <laughs> in the last sort of five or six months that we haven't really spoken. That's it. So I think for the intro we'll leave it there and we'll take a short break and when we come back Ross is going to do what he does best on the show and that is bring to you his sky guide for November yeah see if I can read my notes after a pale ale If you could put on a special pair of glasses and look up into the night sky, you would see something amazing. A sky full of exoplanets, planets orbiting stars beyond our own solar system. A team of superhero space telescopes, in a sense, has done just that. Using powerful technology, they've peered into space, discovering thousands of these distant planets and unveiling their secrets. The first exoplanet discoveries were very down to earth. They were made from the ground. Pioneering new techniques, ground-based telescopes began capturing evidence of giant, scorchingly hot planets around other stars. But to see exoplanets more clearly, including small rocky worlds like our own, telescopes needed a boost. We began launching them into space, lifting them above Earth's atmosphere. This superhero team of space telescopes, Hubble, Chandra, Spitzer, Kepler, and Tess, were free from all the noise and interference from Earth's atmosphere, jittering air molecules, scattering light, clouds, and moisture. And the curtain parted on a galaxy crowded with exoplanets, giant ones, tiny ones, rocky and gaseous, deep frozen and superheated, Planets with two or three suns, super-Earths, mini-Neptunes, and worlds that were just plain weird, like nothing we had ever seen before. And now, a new marvel of technology joins NASA's team, the James Webb Space Telescope. Its infrared vision can peer into the atmospheres of exoplanets, expanding what we know about distant worlds. High on the list of odd exoplanets to observe is a terrifying place where it might rain glass sideways. This exoplanet is called HD 189733b, and it's a hot Jupiter, a giant gaseous world that hugs its star in such a tight orbit that its temperature is more than 1,700 degrees Fahrenheit. Its winds howl at more than 5,400 miles per hour. HD 189733b has been a favorite target of our space telescopes. Spitzer measured its temperature and winds. Hubble discovered that the planet's clouds are deep blue due to the raining glass or silicates. And Chandra observed its star in X-rays, watching the planet's shadow as it passed in front of the star. A much larger shadow than previously thought because huge amounts of the planet's atmosphere are evaporating into space. NASA's next great observatory, the James Webb Space Telescope, will also turn its supervision on HD 189733b. Like Spitzer, it sees in powerful infrared light, but Webb's vision will penetrate far more deeply into this planet's atmosphere and others than ever before. What will it find? 
put it all together and it's a super team. Extraordinary telescopes, exceptional vision, and mind-expanding exoplanet discoveries. On canvas with paint in the artist's school, it is red that is hot and blue that is cool. But in science we show, as the heat gets higher, a star will glow red like the coals of a fire. Raise the heat some more, and what is in sight? Behold, the star glows bright white. But the hottest of all, I say unto you, is neither red nor white when a star has turned blue. This is TGP Nominal. So welcome back to TGP Nominal. So Ross, what has November got for us? November. November's awesome. It's dark, it's cold, it's brilliant. Love November. And now the fireworks are out the way, which is great. Fireworks are cool. I think they're cool anyway. I know people go, oh, they're annoying, they're loud and stuff, and they scare my dogs. But I like them. I think they're brilliant. They scare my dogs, but I just give them a cuddle. They're all right. Turn the telly on. You can't really go stargazing when the firework displays are on because there's so much, like, smoke <laughs> and that. In fact, I was coming home from work on a, after a, a second day shift. And I was coming back from London to Milton Keynes and they had their firework display going off just as I got into Milton Keynes. And half the roads around it were all closed off because there was this billowing <laughs> gas and dust everywhere. But it reminded me of a bit like a nebula. It was quite cool. I kind of looked at it in like the, the yellow lights as they're swirling around and that. And I thought, actually, that's quite, it's a kind of bit like a nebula. Everything's space with me. I can't help myself. <laughs> so yeah, fireworks are out the way now. It's what is officially, there's no festivals until Christmas now, is there? There might be a couple, but they're nearer towards Christmas anyway. I'm not I'm not really too f- up to favour with my, uh, my festivals. I only really know Christmas. I even miss Easter sometimes, and what else is there? My, all my festivals are meteor showers or <laughs> comets and stuff. Easter's a movable feast, so, the, I mean, that, yeah, that, that could be any, any time, whereas you know, Christmas is always the same time, so... So that's all out of the way. We've got November to look forward to. The planet of the month that we've got at the moment is Jupiter. If you haven't seen Jupiter, where have you been? It's literally been up in the sky for ages now, and it looks absolutely awesome. It reaches opposition at the beginning of the month, so it's actually going to be at its best and its brightest for us to look at while we're here in November. Saturn's still in a pretty good place. It's kind of uh, just slightly further to the right of Jupiter, and it'll probably be around for the next couple of months, but I think it's setting down as we go along. Venus is absolutely stunning in the morning sky. You can't miss the goddess of beauty. So if you're up before the sun is, right there, really cool. And something I think we're going to miss when this goes out, we're doing this on the 7th, so a couple of days on the 9th, it actually is going to be occulted by the uh, moon. So that's a date that I'm hoping to go out. And if I get a video of it, I'll pass it on to Mark and he can share it and stuff like that. So I'm hoping to see the moon move in front of Venus. And that's during the day. So about 9.45, I think, in the morning. I'm going to hopefully go out. I'm going to invite a few other people in the Facebook group as well. Take all the telescopes, see if they want to have a look. Because I'm off, which is great. And then uh, oh, I'm going to Miller and Carter that evening. So I can celebrate with a, a nice steak and a glass of wine. So Venus, absolutely stunning. Can't miss her. Mercury, slowly moving away from the sun. Sort of up higher in the evening sky. But I don't think we're really going to get a great position for us to see it in the month, sadly. It's going to be like a tiny white dot, very, very low on the horizon. It doesn't really kind of go up. It kind of goes more sort of like to the left and up a tiny bit. So I'd probably say no to Mercury. Mars is also really close to the sun. So it is creeping past it into the morning sky. But it's going to be a few months until we get into a good position to see Mars at all. Now, Uranus reaches opposition as well this month. Towards the end of the month, so it's going to get better as you go towards the end of the month, so you can see Uranus. But the problem is, it's kind of in the middle of two constellations. It's not really anywhere you can kind of find it easily. 
So it is kind of to the left of Jupiter, between the constellations Taurus and Cetus, which is the bull and the great sea monster. And it is actually going to be a bit harder to spot. You will be able to find it. I do think I talk about it a little bit later on the actual day when it happens, but you are going to have to find, I think it's a star near Andromeda or something, and kind of jump up from there. One of Taurus's star, actually, it might be Taurus's star. Neptune also, it's in between Saturn and Jupiter, so there's nothing really that you can use as a signpost to find it. So again, you'll need some star hopping skills to find both of these. So on to the month ahead, and actually the dates we've got coming up. The 12th, the moon's out of the way. So it's a great time for the uh, Taurid meteor shower. Sadly, it only has a maximum of five shooting stars per hour, which sounds a bit lame, but that's five more than you'd have in a normal sort of sporadic meteor night, which is a normal every night. So and as I always say, you never know. A fireball might burn up in the sky that night. A massive bit might fly through. So it's always worth having a peek. Now, Taurus the ball can be found above Orion this time of year. In fact, if you draw a sort of straight line from Orion's belt or its three stars, straight upwards from it, You'll see a lovely little cluster of stars and that's the Pleiades. Talk about them a lot because they are cool. They're brand new baby stars around that sort of area and that is where the meteors will be kind of radiating from. So if you can find those stars there, that's where you might see these extra sort of meteors flying across the sky. While you're there, you found the Pleiades and that and you're having to look for some stuff. Why not pop slightly to the left? You'll see a bright star called Capella in Auriga and it's known as the Goat Star. Because Auriga's kind of, it's meant to be a charioteer, but I think he's holding a few goats and things for some reason. I know a goat has something to do with Zeus when he was thrown down onto the earth. He suckled, he was from a goat to survive and this sort of thing. So I think that's what it represents. Now, if you're there, Auriga is like a big pentagon of stars in the sky. Grab a pair of binoculars and look in the centre. Because there's a lovely group of sort of awesome stars called the Leaping Minnow. Because it looks like a fish jumping out of the water. While there, you also might spot two or three sort of round smudges in the area. Grab a telescope, if you've got one. Because you found the trio of clusters known as M36, 37 and 38. Now they're a group of really cool clusters. They're open clusters. I used to think they were globular, but they're actually open clusters there. And they're really good to see because you've got three of them. And even in binoculars, you will be able to make out all three, hopefully, in one field of view. You might not get the stars too much, but they are there and they're just waiting to be found. There's also a whole other host of clusters within there. It's kind of like right when the Milky Way and stuff is, there's loads of bits to see there. So just grab some binoculars, telescope, hunt around Auriga, see what you can find. Now, 13th, Uranus reaches opposition. So it's a great time to see it, but not a great place to see it. <laughs> So it should be brighter. They say you can see it with binoculars. I haven't seen it yet with binoculars, but they say you can, so why not have a go? But as stated a little bit earlier, it'll be slightly tougher to find with your telescopes and stuff because it is in the middle of nowhere between two constellations' main stars. Now, it's kind of nestled in the middle of no real signpost whatsoever. So it's in between the bright Pleiades and Jupiter. It's a sort of area it will actually be. So your best bet is probably to get a glimpse of it if you have to star hop from the stars in Taurus up to its location. So when you do see it, it will look like a kind of small pale disc. But I say it's like the colour of blue tack, really, when it's floating in space, because a kid told me that once on a talk. And I was like, okay, yeah, blue tack is actually the perfect colour to say it is. So you might see this little bit of blue tack floating in space, and that'll be Uranus. So hopefully, get to see it in opposition, best time to have a look. Now, there's a whole ton of transits of Jupiter's moons at the moment. I think we've missed about three as we were talking, but there's a Nova load coming up. So on the 14th, We've got Europa with its smooth icy crust, one of Jupiter's moons. Uh, they reckon it might have an ocean sort of liquid water underneath it and possibly life. And hopefully we might find out in the near future because they want to send submarines and stuff there, which would be quite cool. We've got planned the Europa Clipper mission heading out that way. 
So hopefully they'll be able to find a bit of information about what's going on up there. But they've got a helicopter on Mars, so why not a submarine on Europa? Yeah. That'd be really cool to see. And it would be really good to see some footage like in the sea underneath actually sent back to us. That'd be mad. So you can actually sit there and see the moon while it's actually having this submarine on it. So the transit's going to happen around about 4.35pm. So it's kind of just as it starts getting dark until 7.28pm. So you won't need to stay up late, which is good to see it. And what you'll see is you'll see the moon itself and then the shadow just behind it following along. So you're going to get the moon and the shadow going across. I don't think they're perfectly together. I think Europa just kind of gets to the edge and then the shadow starts joining as you go. While you're there, if you look closely, you're likely to see another moon, which is Callisto. And that's going to be drifting kind of south of the planet at the same time. So the shadow of Europa will be just below the massive red spot as well. So you actually get to see the moon, the red spot, a shadow below the red spot, and another moon just below the planet. So it's a great time to have a little look there. And it's during the day. So 4.35 to 7.28 on the 14th. Definitely worth a look at Jupiter if you've got a scope. Now there is a comet that I haven't heard of before that's up in the sky. And around this date is a good time to see it. I'm not going to pronounce it because Mark knows how. I can see him laughing on the screen already. So I'm going to spell it for you. So it's 62P line T-S-U-C-H-I-N-S-H-A-N. So that looks to me like Suchin Sean. <laughs> if I say it in English. But I'm sure it is very much said a different way. It's got a silent T, I look at that. What do you reckon? There's a Chinese beer called Qingdao. Yep. And it's actually spelt T-S-I-N-G-T-A-O. Qingdao. Ah. So it might be pronounced that way. Yeah. The T-S is pronounced as a ch. Ch. Right. Are you going to pronounce it again now properly? <laughs> Let's have a look at it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just... Uh... This one is the Heavy Gravity. What's the space station as well they put out there? Isn't that a TS? Uh, yeah, it is. I think it is, yeah. There's a lot of Chinese words that start with a, a TS, which is a pronounced a ch. See, and this is why Mark's here. I might know where things are, but he knows how to say them. Well, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> so waiting with bated breath. Because if he says this wrong now, ladies and gentlemen. I think it is pronounced Cha-Chin-Shan. 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 I would have never have got that. So is it is it Chinese, Japanese? I think it's Chinese. Chinese. And if I've offended somebody just then, <laughs> incorrect pronunciation. <laughs> we do apologise. <laughs> it's because we're English. We're not very good at other languages, are we? Everyone else can speak ours, but we can't. <laughs> but it's part of the fun, I think. I think part of the fun is the fact that I can't spell or pronounce things. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So that was obviously discovered by a Chinese astronomer then. Yeah. It's got their name on it. That was the first thing I thought of, strangely, was Qingdao, Chinese beer. So yes, look that one up because it's interesting and try and find out the correct pronunciation, but we always have fun doing this. So yeah, that comet buzzes past the Beehive Cluster in Cancer on this date. I believe it's there for a few, yeah, I've got the dates here at the bottom. So it's 14th, 15th and 16th, it's around there. So it's around the Beehive Cluster in Cancer, same night as all the stuff's going on in Jupiter, so you might be able to see a comet as well. They say you can see it with binoculars. As you know, the comets, they do dim quickly and brighten quickly, so you never know. Now, through the month, it's kind of been moving down from Gemini to Cancer, and it'll continue past Leo as it goes on. I don't think Leo comes up till about 1 o'clock in the morning and stuff, so this is the best time to see it. As I said, the magazines are saying that I've read that it's going to be visible with binoculars. It'll be a great photo opportunity for those astrophotographers to grab while it's there by this awesome cluster of stars. 
Uh, they say it's better in the early hours of the morning as it's higher up in the sky. And as I said, the best dates are 14th, 15th and 16th to find it right there. So that'd be really cool. And I hope to see some pictures of that. would be great. 17th. Tonight it's the largest moon in the solar system's turn to have a transit on Jupiter. And that's Ganymede. And it's going to cross the very bottom of the planet. So it literally just kind of goes across the bottom of the planet with its shadow joining it just as the moon moves off it. So you're going to see the moon go across first, then the shadow afterwards. And that's between 8.43 and 11.45. So again, you've got the whole night you can go out and see this happen. You should see, as I said, the moon pass first. So that'll probably be for the first hour or so, hour and a half. And then the shadow after that. So another hour or so for you to see that. So that's quite cool. Another little look at Jupiter. We've got the uh, Leonid meteor shower. So there's a couple of minor meteor showers going on. This one's in the morning and there's around about 15 meteors an hour. So you're going to have a few more than the last one. Although Leo the lion doesn't start rising until about midnight. So you're best kind of from then until about 4am. So it's going to be a late night for those keen astronomers or an early rise if you want to see if you can see some. If you are out at this ridiculous time, try to have a peek at the lion's rear leg. Because just below the star that represents the hip of the lion... Leo. There's a really cool cluster of galaxies here that you may be able to see with a telescope. You might with binoculars. I haven't had a look myself, so I need to have a look and try and find out. It's called the Leo Triplet. So you're actually getting three for the price of one here, and I have seen them through a telescope, and you can get all three in one eyepiece view. So it's definitely worth a look there and having to see if you can find these galaxies while you're doing a bit of meteor spotting. Now on to the 20th. Over the last few evenings, the moon's kind of crept nearer up to the ring planet Saturn until making its closest approach this evening, creating a really nice sight for us as the sun sets. You'll have the planet there, just kind of like above the moon. And as the night goes on, the way the Earth moves and turns, it will appear to kind of slowly shift to the right and then down past the moon as it goes. So almost like how a clock hand does, almost telling the time, 12 to about 3 or 4 o'clock. So if you've got a tracking camera mount, and a camera that goes on it. You could probably do it with a telescope as well, I'd imagine, with a camera in there if you've got a big enough eyepiece to get both in view. You might be able, never done this, this is a complete guess from me, but I'm guessing if it's tracking the moon and you're doing exposures for a long time, you might actually get a trail of the planet moving around the moon like you do with the stars on Polaris. Just an idea. Never had it, never done it, never tried it. So that would be really cool. You'd see like just a white streak of the planet going from 12 o'clock around to 4 o'clock on the moon. Make a really cool picture, I think. So if anyone's got any of that gear, please do have a go. Let me know, because it'll be absolutely brilliant to see. Now, 21st, if we look at the moon with a telescope, the uh, crater called Plato will look absolutely stunning. So it's going to look really cool in the evening's moon. It's just at the top of the huge Mare Imbrium. Now, you can see this awesome crater. It's so good. I really love it. It's almost kind of like it sticks right out. It's a completely different color on the inside. Then there's an absolute host of others and mountain ranges and all sorts of bits to discover all around this area. So if you have a scope, have a look at the moon tonight around that area, sort of like the north of the moon. Fantastic. There's so much to see there. So on the 23rd, again, onto the moon. 
same sort of area where you spotted Plato, you'll see that the light has kind of shifted more to the left on the moon. It almost looks like a bite that's been taken out of the mare right here, and it's known as the Jura Mountain Range, or the Montes Jura, which the tips kind of glisten in the sunlight as they hit them. And I'm not sure if that's going to happen, it's called the Jeweled Handle, but that night is the best night or evening. If it's going to happen, it's going to do that, you'll see it then. If not, you can still look at Plato, the Jura Mountains themselves, and there's loads of other cool craters and bits that are there. So definitely worth a peek at the moon over the next sort of few nights that are there. 24th, back to Jupiter again. Ganymede has another sort of a transit. It only just kind of moves slightly across and skims the very bottom face of the planet. And then its shadow again does exactly the same following it as it goes. So if you missed it on the last date, this one's slightly later, 11.58pm to the early hours of 3.50am. So it's making it the last transit of the month. There was quite a few, as I said, before this month. So the last few days has been a few as well, kind of the same. So you've got a few dates to go out there and see if you can see the moons and the shadows and stuff going across. If you watch the moon slowly close in on Jupiter as the night goes by, so it's actually our moon, not Ganymede. So as the moon slowly closes in through the night on the 24th, it moves towards it very, very slowly to the left-hand side. So you can actually watch our moon slowly drifting towards Jupiter as it goes and then rising again on the 25th the next day you actually see that it's moved across the sky and it's actually the other side of the gas giant and slowly moving away from it so you'll be able to see the moon slowly move towards it they're set and then the next evening it will move away from it just something extra fun for you to have a look at now 27th it's full moon time so not a great time for spotting those faint objects but it's great for our ancestors to see their prey which is why it's called the hunter moon so it's given them a sort of much needed helping hand for getting some extra meat to preserve it and to help them survive over the long winter months. So that's why it's called the Hunter Moon, so they could see their prey out there and stalk them and get some extra meat and probably help to survive, because otherwise we wouldn't be here. <laughs> Luckily, we don't have to do that anymore. We don't need the, the moonlight to find a Sainsbury's or Tesco's. We just use street lights or a torch. Now, last but not least, there is another comet called 103P, and this one I can pronounce, Line Hartley. <laughs> so that's h-a-r-t-l-e-y uh, it's also a morning comet and is best seen sort of mid-month when the moon is out of the way so try and look at it before we get the full moon on the 27th it will be harder to find than the other one because it is in sort of like a big dim huge constellation known as a uh, hydra hail hydra Back on the 30th, it will be right to next to the sort of star Alphard, which is A-L-P-H-A-R-D in Hydra. So you should be able to spot it after sort of 1am. The comet will be kind of just to its right-hand side. They say around about 3am is the best time to kind of have a look. So 1am to 3am. On the 30th, it will be just to the right of that star, and that's probably the only star you'll be able to use <laughs> because it's in the middle of nowhere. So for a hardened astronomer to get out and see if they can see this comet. And that is me out of breath and everything I have to tell you about November. <laughs> oh, now I need a pale ale. So what have you got lined up for UK astronomy? I've got a school to do, which is really cool. And as I said, it's not the planetarium, which would be really nice for me. So actually some stargazing, which is great. I've also got, you know, we go to the pig sanctuary. Oh, yes. Early Tales. So we did two events back in August, which was <laughs> a washout. It absolutely hammered it down both nights. But they saw the pigs, they fed the pigs, they stroked the pigs. The pigs were snoring happy in there, you know, in the rain, wallowing away in the mud. 
And then all the people came in, they had hot drinks, and then I did loads of talks and stuff for them and colouring in, and they made straw rockets and stuff. So they were really happy. Even though it rained, they had a great time. We've got another one of them coming up, and we've called it, obviously, the Perseids aren't happening, so it can't be Pigs and Perseids. So it's Pigs and Planets, because planets begin with P as well. And because Jupiter and Saturn are up, as we've just heard, as well as Uranus, we hopefully will get to see them. So I'm hoping this one won't be a washout. But if it is, they enjoyed it last time. And I always give out my little business cards and say, I've got a little private Facebook group where people I've met can join. And if I'm going out stargazing with the van, I pop a little message in there. Like I was meant to, I was going to try tonight, go out in the van and maybe tomorrow, but both nights are looking cloudy. Hence why I've had a, uh, a gravity. And actually, if you go onto the TGP Nominal website and you look at our launchpad extra section there's a list of different things that you can look at if you click on the banner that says events the pigs and planets is actually listed in the events section oh there you go (laughs) although i think it's sold out now it's a shame they do sell out quickly we did do stow house last month as well that was really good yeah I'd, I'd really need to get along to one of those. Yeah, next one's February, hopefully. I've got to see if I can get the time off work for that one because they want it in the half term and I happen to be slap bang in the middle of my shifts. So. And then we always do two more in October. And I think they want the planetarium as well over uh, summer at some point as well. Well, see, that's the beauty of the planetarium. You can do events when you can't really see much. Yeah, as long as you've got a hole with a roof. A high roof. Yeah, well, I think it's about, was it five, three metres, five metres, something like that. It's all on our website, www.ukastronomy.org. <laughs> Look up Planetarium. It gives you all the information. How many people can fit in it, the height of it. Make sure the floor is clean <laughs> before it arrives. But yeah, it's, it's fit in most, almost every hall. I don't think there's one where I've said no yet. Also got a little measure as well. So we've got a little laser that I can put on the floor and measure the height. To be fair, most community centres and things are got a decent headroom in them anyway. And if they have a projector hanging down, it's usually only on one side. So you just move it to the other side. Yeah. Although one thing I did find in a hall I did recently was a toad. Toad. I went to I went to a village hall and the schools were coming down to the village hall and a baby toad was hopping across the floor when I was setting up. I thought, how? how? <laughs> so, bless you, I've got the little toad. The things you find, let's see, doing astronomy. I've, I've had foxes, people with guns, police officers, now a toad. So I let it out, let it free. It was during the summer, luckily, so I kind of put it in some nice damp bushes. Maybe they've got a little village pond somewhere. Yeah, it couldn't be that far from water if it's uh, got into a building somehow. Just thought, how weird. Just sat there and there's a little baby toad hopping across the floor. The things you find in village halls. (laughs) You don't want to know sometimes. Yeah, that'd be one for a podcast, wasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) The Ten Strangest Things. (laughs) Actually, a friend of mine, uh, friends of mine, Neil and Pavo, they've got a podcast, the Top 10 of Anything podcast, it's called. (laughs) Each podcast, they do a list of 10 things on a topic. Yeah. So (laughs) that could be something for them. Weird things found in a a church hall. In a village hall. (laughs) So literally, you could talk about anything. Anything you like. It's never-ending. Great concept. But Neil and Pavo have been friends of the show for a long time. Big Star Wars fans. I actually met them at Star Wars Celebration at uh, the XF Centre in London. And uh, I've been on their podcast, they've been on my podcast, and uh, 
always good to be chatting with the boys and uh, yeah i do recommend listening to their podcast as well Spanhead Productions are a small independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, spanheadproductions.com. Weebly.com. That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com. So, Ross, it's fantastic having you back on the show again. Got to do it more. Next time, definitely back in December. Got to go back to being face to face. Well, we always try and do the Christmas crossover uh, at Christmas, obviously. And I haven't got a clue what I'm going to do for it this year. Last year, we got Will on the show at last minute because Mm -hmm. Eddie couldn't make it uh, because one of his daughters was ill. And uh, Will took part in my annual Christmas quiz. And he said he's been in quizzes and he's been on the chase and God knows what else. And he said my questions were probably the hardest questions he'd ever come across. Yeah, I was going to say, having heard a few, it is a very <laughs> difficult... I'd have to have Google on hand, definitely, an iPad or something. I, th- I wouldn't mind, but I'd actually toned down the questions because I thought the ones a year before <laughs> were harder, so... <laughs> Please tell me they're astronomy-related. There was, was a couple like... of the... Actually, have you heard about that with Will? No. Will was on the chase, Yep. and the question he got wrong was astronomy. <laughs> oh, dear. That's always the way, though, isn't it? I bet it was really easy as well. I, I can't even remember what it was now, but yeah, he was kicking himself afterwards. I'm going to I'm gonna have to ask him now. Right, so we're going to wrap this episode up, and uh, there's always one thing I like to say at the end of each episode, and that's thanks for listening, stay safe everybody, and we'll speak to you again real soon. Clear skies guys, and remember, there's a billion worlds in your back garden. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of TGP Nominal. If you want to get in touch with us, then send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com, where your input is our output. Or click the social media icons at the top left of the page over at tgpnominal.weebly.com. If you would like to subscribe to any of our podcasts, you can do so via Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and TuneIn. And you can listen to me going solo, bringing you the latest in movies and home theater for regular people in the Widescreen podcast over at widescreen.org. Don't forget to rate and review us. If you like what we're doing here, then why not buy us a pint by clicking on the donate button on any of the podcast pages. And don't forget to spread the word about us. Station, this is Houston ACR. Thank you. That concludes the event.